0: Welcome to the Risk Guru Podcast. Join your host Matt Hodges Long in conversation with gurus from all over the world of governance, risk, and compliance. Come on, Matt, let's go. My guest today is Christian Harris, Managing Director of Slip Safety Services. Welcome to the Risk Guru Podcast. Thanks for having me, Matt. Nice no no to be here. No problem. So, before we get going, so tell us a little more about Slip Safety Services and does it do what it says on the tin? Yeah, we went for the Ron Seal approach in terms of the naming.
1: Uh, Essentially, we're a floor care maintenance business with two key specialisms. One of them is around uh, cleanliness standards of kind of hard-to-clean environments like kitchens and leisure centres and things like that. Uh, The other one, which is more likely to be of interest to the listeners of this, is around slip safety risk management. So uh, slips and trips, uh, biggest cause of accident in most sectors, biggest cause of insurance claims. Uh, And we've got some proven solutions and methodologies to reduce risk Uh, typically clients see something like a 50, 60 or 70% reduction in accidents, uh, therefore fewer claims and lower costs.
0: Wow, because when we first met I, I must admit I was a bit quizzical that was this really a business or was this really a thing that people needed to worry about because people were talking to me all the time about um, terrorism and, and fires and floods and Armageddon and r- rarely did somebody say to me, "I'm concerned about somebody tripping over in the lobby or in yes. my leisure centre um, And then you, you obviously put me right. So I mean, if you've got a few stats, you can yeah, well, I mean, if, if you numbers.
1: look, we work with AXA, for example, one of the large insurers. And if you look at the uh, claim costs that they spend every year, it's about 80 million pounds on uh, people slipping over. And the next biggest is uh, in terms of casualty stuff. You know, the next biggest is manual handling, 30 million. Um, of course you know fires and catastrophic things like that can be massive in terms of cost as well but you don't get that many of those so yes you might have a fire that's 15 million uh, but you need quite a few of those 15 million pound fires to make up for that 80 million of of slips. Um, In terms of uh, uh, some other statistics around harm you know there are 300,000 people a year go to hospital due to a slip which results in about 1.5 million NHS bed days so there's a huge impact on society there and it's the biggest cause of people going to A&E and then if you look at the kind of criminal side of things we've seen quite a few high profile fines so uh, quite a, you know, a few of the supermarkets have had fines uh, Tesco had one recently which was about um, £733,000 which was after a, a slip in one of their stores and the gentleman concerned wasn't even in the grand scheme of things that badly hurt he broke his hip um, so it's not as if he suffered a brain injury or something like that so yeah the, the, the there's, a, there's a there's a big human cost there's a big cost around uh, health and safety and claims uh, and we're now starting to see an increasing uh, cost in terms of fines and, and criminal uh, prosecutions as well
0: and presumably with with these large cases you know there's I would assume, uh, an absence of mitigation in the run-up to that, which leads to these big fines, so that the, you know, the, the, the risk wasn't being managed properly, it wasn't just a genuine accident, you know, yeah, I contributing mean, factors.
1: Obviously, the, there's, a very, there's a great difference between a, a civil case and a criminal case, and if you look at the HSE success in prosecutions, it's probably 99.99% because effectively they're not going to bring a prosecution unless they're very sure they're going to, to be successful. Uh, in, in a criminal action. so uh, you know the the, um, the likelihood of, of of those fines being uh, being deteriorating or, or going away mm. totally is, is, is next to nothing. Yeah. Um, I think if anything, it's just going to get bigger. Um, but uh, from from a civil side, you know we're still seeing an increase. I mean, if you look at um, leisure and hospitality sector, for example, uh, the um, the average uh, claim cost is about ten thousand pounds a couple of years ago. Uh, slips were causing about twenty three percent of all claims, and it's now over thirty three percent. So, if anything, it's getting uh, a bigger problem.
0: Yeah. And so, so what can be done about this then? So, you know, if you run a supermarket or a leisure centre or whatever, I mean, where where would you start? Would it be getting a risk assessment done? Or
1: yeah, we've we've developed uh, a couple of sort of models that might be of, of interest. So, the first is is an acronym called CHIMES. So, this is looking at the six factors that contribute to whether somebody slips or not. Yeah. So looking at it quite holistically. What we find a lot in this uh, sector, a bit like kind of your initial reaction when we first met was, oh, is this really that that much of a problem? Isn't this simple to deal with? Um, You know, uh, Or things like the floor's getting wet, it's bound to be slippery. So people looking at it quite superficially. Uh, There's also the challenge around that kind of um, uh, the humorous side of this potentially, where if you Google slips and trips, you get sort of videos of of dogs slipping on ice which are funny to be fair uh, or or, or sort of people you know doing pratfalls and things uh, and you don't get uh, information around uh, 10 people being um, killed a year or or amputations or whatever it might be Um, so we kind of uh, exist to really try to educate people around the fact that firstly it's quite serious and secondly there are things you can do so this this framework this chimes framework helps us to do that Uh, and then we have a kind of a methodology where, where people can work through that which starts with doing some risk assessments and getting some measurements and quantification of risk all the way through a process of understanding the risk, doing something about it, maintaining and monitoring that over time and then crucially evidencing that so that in the event of an accident and a, a claim or, or, or any sort of uh, criminal prosecution they've got something to rely upon.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And you have a uh, an interesting piece of kit for, you were saying to me about actually measuring the friction ha- the, the, floor, the, the yeah. likelihood the, of a slip on a floor, so talk us through that.
1: It's called the pendulum test, so if you think about when somebody slips, you basically are uh, planting your weight onto the, the back of your heel, or the, or the tip of your heel I suppose, and, um, at a sort of 30 degree-ish angle, uh, and therefore what happens in 999,999 times out of a million is, you, you plant your heel and and you, and you crack on because there's enough grip. Um, occasionally there isn't uh, and that's when a slip may, may happen. Uh, so this test basically mimics that interaction between the heel and the floor. Uh, it standardises the heel element so therefore it's just teaching you about the floor uh, and it measures the coefficient of friction. And this is what's used by the HSE in terms of any enforcement or prosecution. So. I don't know about the the Tesco case we mentioned, but there was another high-profile case where a gentleman actually slipped over and died in a co-op store in 2015, and I know that pendulum testing data was used as part of that because I was the one uh, doing it or part or one of the people that was, that was doing it. So um, it's important to uh, to get this testing done, and, and certainly the insurers would would recommend people do it sort of annually or something like that as, mm-hmm. as a minimum. Most businesses have never done it and never heard of it, and therefore. That's one of the reasons why these these issues perpetuate because unless you've got some uh, data, you know what gets measured gets managed. So get some yeah. data, get some numbers, and then you can start. So in one research. sense,
0: you've got the defensibility that you've got the numbers, but then more importantly, you understand you've got the problem and you've got the risk, and you can manage that risk. Yeah, effectively. correct. And, I
1: mean, a lot of a lot of people we see this kind of ostrich syndrome of people not wanting to do testing because even multinationals I've I've uh, had say to me, oh, we don't want to do any slip testing because we know we've got slippery floors and once we've got the test uh, information and that evidence, we've then got to do something about it, which doesn't really seem the right mm. uh, the right approach to take, and it, and it certainly wouldn't help them in the event of any prosecutions. But, um, yeah, g- getting the data, it, it tells you where you are, so at least you can then do something to improve, or actually, if you're doing well already, then, yeah, it's great defensibility.
0: Yeah, and, and really something that I think, in a, as I see it, in a high-risk environment or a higher-risk environment should just be a standard part of the management checks. It's you know uh, what, what sort of frequency would you recommend a, a, a pendulum test in a sort of a, a high risk or high traffic location?
1: Well, as I say, most businesses don't do it at all. So uh, any anything would be better than, than nothing. Um, the the insurers and the law firms that we work with would would typically say you know annually as a minimum would be beneficial because the, one of the challenges with this is you could have a slip test done on a floor uh, before it was installed. But then you can't really rely on that data five, six, seven years down the line, or even one year down the line, necessarily. Because so will the behavior of the floor change over time? Yeah, because floors are going to change due to wear. For example, so you know, I'm not religious, but if you go to a church, you'll see you know the old beautiful old stone floors, and they wear away where people walk across them, uh, or or through a change of use. So if you're a retail store or or any sort of uh, business that reformats um, furniture or whatever around. Or through cle- th- changes in cleaning regimes, or even just bad sort of ineffective cleaning, making floors more slippery over time. So the slip test captures a point in time. Uh, there's obviously value having a slip test versus none, but the value will, after a period of time, start to dissipate because mm. you know it's only a point in time, and the longer away that was, uh, the. So, so if, you can so if for example
0: you you did one every year, and over those three years it was becoming. Progressively more slippery. Then yeah. you would say, maybe in year four, we need to do some do kind something. of treatment. Yeah, or, do something to try and yeah.
1: rectify the situation exactly. Yeah.
0: And is is that typically an expensive undertaking, or is it something that's relatively quite cheaper? You know, in in the grand scheme of maintaining a building, I mean, is it? Um, you,
1: yeah, I mean, w- we we typically will advise people to work on a zonal basis. So I was at a client site the other day, and they'd had a slip, uh, quite a serious slip, kind of quite far into the building. It was an office building. And so he was sort of saying, oh, we need to treat this whole floor and make it all safe. And I said, well, hold on a sec. Realistically, I know you have had you have had an issue there, but that was down to actually uh, cleaning, perhaps not following the best process that they could have done. The floor was wet when it shouldn't have been dry. Uh, but actually, you're only really gonna see a risk 99 times out of 100 in the first few meters inside the door and where there's a cafe. So why don't we just work on that area to start with? Um, and so, you know, the cost of that versus doing the whole floor was significantly lower. I mean, if you take the, the average cost of a claim of, of being about 10K, um, you know, if we were to treat, uh, let's say we went to a swimming pool, a uh, 25-metre pool, and we found that it was uh, the floor was, you know, 15 years old and it had worn smooth and it was really slippery, um, the cost of replacing that floor might be 100 grand. The cost of us deep cleaning it and treating it would be a couple of grand. Yeah. Uh, so, in you know, in the context of the other options that are available to you, and in the context of a claim, it's it's fairly good value mm-hmm. for money.
0: So you mentioned on, on uh, office buildings and shops and things like that. If, if statistically most of the slips happen within a few meters of walking into the building, so presumably coming from the outside where it's yeah. damp or whatever to to the inside. Um, you're, f- you're famous for your LinkedIn posts of, um, of various <laughs> yeah. receptions and floors. So, yeah. so I think half of them fall into the category of clean floor, dirty floor photos, which are always interesting. Yeah. And then the other one is the, the reception areas. What, how, what I've always thought with that is that you sort of talk about the amount of metres of, of matting that should be in place to yeah. dry people's feet. And then the, sort of the other part of me looks at... From a design perspective, and mm. says, "Well, that could be quite ugly." Yeah, yeah. So, how do you find yourself in those debates with building managers around all the time. form and function? Yeah, and all, yeah that
1: all the time. I mean, I think if you look at the the HSE advice on matting, the minimum they recommend for uh, uh, sort of seventy eight people per hour at peak times is three to four meters of matting, and most buildings have nowhere near that. Mm. Uh, if if you've got a building that's expecting um, eight hundred people. An hour at peak traffic they would say eight to ten meters of matting very 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 few buildings have anywhere near that um so there are other things you can do as part of your entrance system to try to mitigate the risk but in terms of uh, that that aesthetic point you know we work with a lot of architects and you know clearly they want to design uh, beautiful but yet functional buildings so that's where uh, these kind of um choosing the right floors to start with can can be good because you can have a nice floor that that looks good and is sufficiently safe uh, or getting involved in doing uh, the kind of treatments that we can do whereby for example on a you know, a lovely marble floor or a, or a polished granite or something like that we can retain that aesthetic, we can retain that level of sheen but make the floor such that it will still um, have a sufficient level of slip resistance uh, based on the pendulum test so that is going to reduce your risk but still have that balance of, of, of aesthetic uh, and, and safety.
0: I Don't know whether I ever told you my um where I got told off when I years and years ago I worked for a pharmaceutical company Glaxo and I, I thought it would be a good idea that um, we could get some nice new mats for our receptions and I, I got more logoed up and everything and then I got hauled over the coals by the marketing director that uh, told me that he loved the new mats but would did I think it was a good idea that people were trampling on our logo yeah <laughs> that, well that's a really yeah. good yeah. point actually I' never really thought of it that way I thought I was being smart but uh, no it's yeah. a good
1: point yeah because you, you do see these logos mats and um but then, if they're not, they're not necessarily that effective. Uh, they should only be used temporarily as well. HC is very clear that those should be a temporary solution. whereas a lot of buildings just have them there all the time, and and they cause obviously trip hazards and so on and so forth. And yeah, I mean, it's, it probably isn't the best thing to have your brand attached to a to a sort of grubby somebody's dirty
0: uh, feet. Dirty (laughs) dirty mat on the floor. (laughs) Unless it was a competitor. So anyway, that was my my one and only brush with um logoed matting and I've kept away from it ever since. So (laughs) that's really good. So as you know Christian, I'm I'm technology guy as well as risk. That's that's my what I do um for the day job. So how how do you make use of technology in, in your business to help customers manage risk? And we've talked about your pendulum test gadget, but what what else is there that you, yeah, you the do pen, with technology?
1: The, frustratingly, the pendulum is quite, uh, quite a, an old technology. It was developed in, in uh, the sort of mid, middle of the, the 20th century, and, and uh, uh, w- people over the years have tried to come up with different tests, which are digital or whatever, to replicate the results of it and would be much more portable and easy to use, but nobody's ever done anything that has... Cut the mustard in terms of what the HSE would would say is, is acceptable. Um, so uh, we're stuck with that big uh, uh, big box and having to lug that around and, and having manual handling issues as a result. But in terms of uh, what would I uh, use technology for, um, it's more about enabling the the, the message um, to get out there. Uh, uh, and then there, there is this um, there is this bit of kit called Track My Risks. I think that's all right as well, but. We'll talk. We'll talk about that. Uh, yeah, I think I think I've heard of that. It's um, very it's very good from what but, I've heard. But um, I'm a big fan of. of um, we've got, for example, on our website, like a digital diagnostic scorecard. So as a first step, you know, before somebody has to necessarily go through the the cost of getting us out to do a, a formal survey and t- slip testing their floors, they can spend ten minutes going through this kind of digital uh, tool, answering those questions, and that will give them a good idea of how they're sitting in terms of. Uh, their performance on that chimes model and benchmarking themselves against best practice, so things like that we we're, we're we're a big fan of
0: yeah fantastic and um, one of the one of the things we want to do with this podcast is sort of bust myths about health and safety, governance risk compliance, et cetera et cetera. So I always ask everybody you know what, what's the biggest myth that they have to contend with in their business in in relation to to that so how how does that work for you?
1: Probably the biggest myth for us is uh, we've kind of touched on it is is that people don't think that this is that serious. Uh, So they don't know some of the numbers that we were talking about earlier, and they don't therefore put the importance on trying to solve the issue that they could. Uh, Or I suppose supplementary to that, they they just don't seem to understand that you can do something about it. So we would never claim that we can eliminate slips from a building. We have done that before, but we would never say that's a guaranteed result by any means, but we can certainly dramatically reduce uh, the risk and and it's not the case that because a floor is wet it must be slippery and it's not the case that if you plonk a yellow sign out you've done everything you can do Uh, so Mm. it's just sort of myths like that really that we um,
0: are trying to uh, eradicate so I suppose yeah it's it's risk management not risk elimination yeah Um, for everybody you know there's a reason why it's called risk management yeah I mean we uh,
1: if you think about it we can all walk on extremely slippery surfaces like ice uh, so therefore theoretically we could we could all walk on on a floor without slipping over but equally um, people slip over uh, you know athletes uh, you know people in in very peak physical condition because it's just something that can happen and so you can't ever really truly eliminate it but I mean we are our kind of goal is to see a a very large reduction in, in accidents that's that's what we try to
0: achieve fantastic and and this probably leads on to my next question around what one thing would you change to remove unnecessary risk from the lives of your customers? So very much focusing on the unnecessary risk, you know, the, the silly things. What, what would you do if you could wave, wave a magic wand?
1: I think that in my field, the legislation isn't clear enough. Um, health and safety, as you know, in the UK is, is kind of based on risk assessments and there isn't that kind of very clear black and white answer as to what's a safe law and what isn't a safe law. So I think some sort of uh, more in-depth or clearer benchmarking of what is or isn't safe would be useful because I think that would help that misunderstanding and that um, misinformation and people looking at it in too superficial a way. Um, if, if we could say, for example, and there is case law here, but there's nothing that's, that's very, very, very clear. You know, If you could say, right, in this environment, you need a certain level of slip resistance on your floor um, in a kitchen or a swimming pool or whatever, that information does kind of exist, but not in in, in a very clearly transmitted way, um, and with a lot of clarity. So I think that would be beneficial. I mean, I'm I'm generally not a fan of of um, uh, too much government intervention uh, in things, but I do think in in this in this case, you know, we we could we could do with just being
0: a little having a bit more clarity. Well, we have. Minimum tread depth on tyres, don't we? Yeah. As an example, so yeah, maybe there's a, a minimum coefficient in certain different types of areas. Yeah, or, I mean,
1: the the problem is with with a risk assessment based approach is that you're then really reliant upon the skill set of the person conducting that risk assessment. Um, and again, with with our area of expertise, people perceive or think, you know, they, they they believe that they know enough about it to make an informed risk assessment, but actually. In my experience, they really don't because they're not looking at it in sufficient depth, and therefore they make mistakes. So I think um, either clarifying what's needed, or, or perhaps looking at some way of, of maybe regulating who's a fit and proper person to do this kind of risk assessment, or something like that, yeah. would would help. Because I think you know lots of these accidents uh, are very much avoidable ones if people had a bit more knowledge.
0: Yeah. Well, you know, it's I think from a Working as we do with a lot of sort of smaller companies and mid-sized companies, is that you've got to know it's a thing to start with. Yeah. You know, if you're if you're Tesco and you're seeing all of that data coming in from your through yeah. your claims department and you're being sued left, right, and centre because of your scale, then you know it's a thing. If you run a yeah. two cafes um, or you know restaurants or whatever, then you might not even know, might not even consider yeah. that this is a, no, a exactly. requirement. You know, but unless somebody tells you. Or yeah,
1: and I think again going back to some of the figures that I gave earlier, if you, if you say, well, there's three hundred thousand. Uh, admissions to hospitals so those are you know on the serious end there are clearly a lot more accidents than that that happen but if you think about just the sheer number of buildings in the UK um, and divide that by 300,000 any given building is not having anywhere near one serious accident a year um, but I think there's this again perhaps a misconception where we do go into places and we see that they're having a number of accidents and they have had enough you know two or three quite serious accidents perhaps in a year yeah. But they don't perceive that as being a problem, whereas actually, if you look if you look at them on a scale, they're kind of you know, yeah. off the scale. They're, Hugely they're, abnormal they're, statistics. Yeah, they're, they're they're so that's such a huge red flag, but they don't really understand that. Um, so I think you know that that's something that again it's it's the information, isn't it? But in, in that kind of SME world, as you say, people um, probably don't have you know many accidents, but obviously it only takes one serious accident to fundamentally change somebody's life. Uh, particularly with what's going on in the insurance market at the moment, we, you know, in, in Ireland, for example, we've seen businesses that have uh, gone under because their, their insurance premiums have quadrupled because the market's hardening and they just can't afford to, to be in business. So, yeah. and that, that's starting to happen here. Uh, so, all of this stuff around, you know, whatever whatever the risks are in your business, managing those better to to mitigate that risk of, uh, of, of premiums rising is really important as well.
0: It's fantastic. Well, we've just sort of reached reached the end of our time, so I um, just want to say thank you, Christian. It's been awesome talking to you. Um, wishing you and your team the best of luck for the future. I hope uh, everything carries on going as well as it has done up until now. Um, just finally, before we finish, how can people find out more about you and about Slip Safety Services? Who, who, what can you point us out?
1: Thanks, Matt. It's been uh, been a pleasure, as always. Uh, best places to go are probably LinkedIn, as you, as you mentioned earlier, if you, if you typed in Christian Harris uh, Slip safety you'll certainly find me and then the website is www.slipsafety.co.uk uh, if you wanted to take the slip safety scorecard that i mentioned earlier it's slipsafety.co.uk slash scorecard slash scorecard
0: okay fantastic thank you very much christian thank you take care thank you for listening to the risk guru podcast don't forget to subscribe for future episodes via riskgurupodcast.com or your favorite podcast player